0: Welcome to episode 73 of Game of Thrones Abridged on alt Swift x Uh, Is the stream health okay? Is is there any lagging or anything happening? Just want to make sure because we're running a slightly different setup. Tell you what, I think... Alright, I'll adjust something. I'll, I'll be back in like a sec. In like a hot sec. Just hang on... Oh. oh! should we continue? H- can you let me know if you can hear? I- is the quality alright? Can you guys hear? Is it all good? Is it all grand? Can you hear anything? Yeah, no? Nah? Can you hear? Because uh, I don't know if the... um, I don't know if the quality's right. Alright, alright. We'll just go for it then. We'll just go for it. We'll assume it's all good. So we're doing episode 73. The... Finale, guys—the grand finale of this season. We've had this. We've had this 73 episode. I've always imagined it as like a TV show. Yeah, it's it's like some kind of HBO special, some kind of like Sopranos shit. Yeah, where you get like in, in, invested in all the swifty characters and in the Game of Thrones stuff. And um, and you know, we've we've we've, we've now remember the epi- remember the end of Mad Men. Remember when Don Draper and there's like that, um, like that there's like that ad for Coke, and then it's like everything's like peaceful. I haven't seen Mad Men, but that's the tone we're going for in this final episode of Ulrich X's Game of Thrones abridged book, one. Um, and part of the reason why this episode was so delayed is that like I was thinking like, how do we go out with a bang? What's like the right, what's the right way to end this book? And this season, what kind of, what kind of spectacle can I plan? What kind of events, what kind of parades, what kind of marching bands can I bring to this episode? Um, Because my twin, my twin Alt Shift X is always saying, mate, you got to, you got to plan stuff. You got to, you got to make a schedule. You got to make an agenda. You got to research. You got to make a spreadsheet. My 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 twin alt shift X is all about spreadsheets, um, but that was never really what worked for us. I think alt shift X was never really about the spreadsheets, and so I thought it was best if we do the same thing we did when we began, which is we get out this book called Game of Thrones and we just we just do some little talky talking and and we just see how it goes. Yeah, exactly. Smashed ever alt shift X is a nerd okay so so you know disregard him we're just going to take it easy so we're going to read Daenerys 10 a game of thrones the final Daenerys POV in this book and the final chapter of this book so um so we're going to see some burning like spoilers but there's going to be some some conflagrations mate um and uh and there's also going to be a dragon which is like about time right i mean we've gotten through what is it 800 pages of fantasy and so far there hasn't been a single dragon um which which is which you know i almost wanted my money back like the first time i read this book i was like all right fantasy i got my knights check i've got my i've got my um I got my high fantasy drama politics. I got me my lords and my, my ladies. Check. Where's my dragon? Where's my sky lizards, man? Where's my pterodactyls? I'm in it for the pterodactyls. If all the characters were drag, if all, if every character in Game of Thrones was a dragon, I would. I think. I think I'd like it more. The only you know, you know, you want to know the real reason? You want to know the real dirty secret that George RR Martin doesn't want you to know? The reason, why, um, the reason why there are characters who aren't dragons in any book is that um, the, also, the authors are hoping to get HBO specials. The, the, all, all the writers are hoping to get made into TV shows and movies. And the thing is, if all of your characters are dragons, uh, as they should be, the CGI costs are generally prohibitively expensive. And so you're less likely to get um, a, a TV show, an adaptation of your story. Um, so we end up with all these stories about just these boring, fleshy, bald mammals called humans, right? When every character could be a dragon and it'd be far more exciting. You know, um, what was that show? What's that show with like the, oh, it's about dinosaurs. I think it's called like dinosaurs. Um, and it's just about, it's like a sitcom with a bunch of dinosaurs. That was the best show. And I watched the last episode and the last episode was the darkest shit you've ever seen. Like you've, you, you know, like... Like, people say Game of Thrones is dark. This show about dinosaurs, like, the last episode is literally... Like, like it's meant to be, like, this heartwarming family sitcom for kids, right? Um, And then in the last episode, they're just like, Oh, sorry, um, I've kind of caused the apocalypse due to uh, ecological mismanagement. uh, And uh, I'm really sorry. And I know how at the end of every other episode... Uh, everything just turned out okay because this is a family-friendly show. But since the show got abruptly cancelled uh, and our writers are all on strike, the way we're ending this entire series is by saying sorry. We're all going to die, and there's like it's like this like friendly kid. We're getting off track. <coughs> But the point is to look forward to dragons. And without any further ado, let's read Daenerys X, A Game of Thrones. And again, if the quality of this stream is fucked, just comment and we'll try to address it. But it, it, I don't know, seems alright. Okay. So, the land is dead and red and parched. Um, It's a wasteland. It seems dark. It seems desolate. Uh, and the reason for that is because uh, we've just suffered all this disaster. We've just had Daenerys' miscarriage. We've had the... Well, not miscarriage, but the but the baby monster dragon kiddo. Uh, and then there's Drogo dying and, 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 and like, Miri Mazda. Masdur, Miri Masdur's betrayal and all of that. So, like, we're, we've just suffered a whole lot of loss, right? So we're sort of standing here out in on the edge of the bloody world, right? We're feeling like... We're feeling like we're, we're standing on the edge of something. Like, it's either going to be, like, death or growth, right? We're in, we're in a world of extremes right now. Um, we're at some kind of a climax, a turning point. Um, something big is going to happen here at the end of the world, is what it feels like. But first, we'll have a whole lot of descriptions of sticks. Let's talk about sticks, we got uh we got some gnarled cottonwoods. We got some sheaves of brown grass. We got some purple brush. We got some orange brush. We got some leafy weeps. We got some grassy wasps. Lots of different kinds of uh fl- for- for- flora, flora, flora. Uh, it's it's a veritable flora of, of flora, like a forum. Okay, they got a bunch of sticks, and the reason they're collecting sticks is because they're gonna do a funeral pyre for Drogo. Uh, so all the Dothraki, all of the remnants of Drogo's Kalasar, who were gathered around Daenerys, are collecting sticks. Um, stick tangent, yes. Um, and, um, and so they're getting all that stuff together, and they're also gathering a horse. Because no tragedy would be complete in this story without the death of a horse. Thank you, Lucas, for the kind donation. Um, so they get a horse, and traditionally you would burn the horse of Khal Drogo, uh, but they haven't got his red, his red, He's dead, red, dead, horse-demption is what that is. Um, and so they find the best horse they can get, uh, and uh, they feed him a withered apple, and then Ago drops him in an instant with an axe. Um, so I, can't, I, I like how they gave this horse uh, a, a final meal. You ever see there's like this great like um, art project that someone did in America, I think, and it's just photogra- it's a photography project of prisoners' last meals in in, uh, in America, I think. Um, and it's just like all these photos of these like plastic trays of like chicken nuggies and like Nutella sandwiches and and, and steaks and stuff. and these are the last meals requested um, by, by prisoners in America. Um, and I like to think that you could do an equivalent project for horses. I like to think that you could, um, that you could offer a horse, I mean, I mean, like in like the meat industry, especially like all of the like cows and the chickens and all those animals that are getting killed every day so that we can eat our chicken tendies. Um, I wonder if what would happen if they all got a last meal, what what kinds of meals would animals request? I mean, I don't imagine they ha, like, they pro- like, uh, they wouldn't ask for caviar, is, is, is what I'd assume. Cause I don't think chickens know what caviar is. Like, y- you know what the depressing truth is? Yeah, Smash Diver's right. It'd be a lot of hay. Because the only fucking thing that a horse knows to eat is hay. Cause that's all they've eaten. But, like, if they knew about Nutella, they would have been all fucking over it, right? It'd be nothing but Nutella. It'd just be, just be a molten river of Nutella. Um, oh, Nihilga has a good point. Just ask ask for an all-you-can-eat buffet for your last meal and just eat forever. I, I feel like if you ate forever, you would um die. Um, but better death by eating than death by lethal injection, I guess. Anyway, um, I'm feeling a tangent uh, creeping up, so let's continue. So they've killed this random horse, because the horses always uh, have it bad in this story. Uh, and the plan is to burn this horse, along with a collection of sticks uh for the funeral of Carl Drogo. <coughs> uh and so Miri Mazdur is watching. And Miri Mazdur is um okay, we got some people saying lag. Uh fuck. Um I could change the resolution. All right. Yeah. Alright, we'll keep going. Um and Miri Masder is like, ooh, oh, all right, a bunch of people are saying lag. Alright, uh super quick. we oh we don't want to pause it halfway. Uh, look, we're gonna power through it. It's gonna. Oh well, shit. Ah, it's all right. Look, let's just power through, and you know, we'll, we'll we'll fill each other in on on the important plot points that. Oh, lots of people are saying lag. Uh, all right, let me just have a look at. Oh yeah, we got like fifty percent dropped frames. That 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 sounds like a lot of drop fr- dropped frames. Um, ah, fuck. Well, if I pause the, oh, can I change the settings midstream? Okay, everyone's saying it's fine. All right, whatever. We'll keep going. Miriam Zadora is watching, and she's like, uh, "Yo, I'm a suspicious, nefarious uh, person uh, with her black eyes." Has anyone with black eyes ever been like a good character, a good person? Um, probably not. Uh, but but Miriam is like, "Ooh, I can tell that you're gonna try and do some some magicles." Um, and and Danny's like, "I know all about magicles. My magicles is the best magicles." Um, and, and Miriam is like, nah, you need proper training. You haven't been to Hogwarts. Like you need proper, you need spreadsheets. Like Miriam Mazda is like the alt shift X of magic in that Miriam Mazda is like, yo, you need to have a plan. You need to have an agenda. You need to know the formula if you're going to do a magic spell. Whereas like Danny's like, nah, I can just improvise some magic. I can just make it up. I can just go along. There might be some dropped frames. There might be some bad shit, but look, it's going to be okay. Danny's an improvisational magician. Because cause we're beginning to learn that Danny is planning some kind of a spooky magic trick in this chapter. Uh, but Miriam Estera is saying, nah, you can't do it. Because you don't have the words to make the spell. You don't have the wisdom. You are a child and you are ignorant. And that's another one of the themes in Danny's story is that she's always like... Um, is that... Um, is that Danny's like, oh, like, I'm naive and I'm innocent, or everyone's everyone's always telling her that she don't know shit. Um, And, you know, even after she's conquering cities and becoming, like, a queen and a politician, like, even after all these successes, people are continually saying, you're really dumb. You haven't achieved anything, um, they say, as she sits on her throne built on the back of (laughs) conquests. Uh, and so, uh, and Denny, like plays that up later on, doesn't she, with all her talk of, like, I may be a young girl who, lo- who knows little in the way of warfare, but still, here's, here's a demonstration of my knowledge of the ways of warfare. Um, and so this is this is uh, a reference to that sort of ignorance. Um, and so everyone's basically annoyed by Miriam Mazda. Miriam Mazda is just like a fucking downer, and everyone's like, guys, I, I don't want to listen to Miriam Mazda um and all of our complaints about spreadsheets uh and so they go ahead with building they keep on building the pyre uh and they get all their sticks and they lay the wood east to west from sunrise to sunset which i think is kind of nice um i think it's kind of cool that that for this funeral pyre they lay they lay the sticks east to west because it's from sunrise to sunset which has all this symbolism of like beginnings and endings light and darkness life and death so i think that's a cool thing to do. If you ever build a funeral pyre, next time you build a funeral pyre, uh, try laying the sticks east to west. Uh, and so they put a bunch of Khal Drogo's possessions uh, on the fire. Saddles, whips, weapons. Uh, things that were important to Carl Drogo so that he can have those objects in the nightlands. Um, and Joram Mormont turns up and he um, uses some ellipses um, He's actually kind of the ellipses prince, to be honest. Jorah is always going like fucking, oh princess, dot dot dot. Uh, oh Danny, I have something to say, dot dot dot. But people are always interrupting him. People are always um ignoring him. And Jorah, and and I think Jorah kind of sets that up for himself, right? Like he's always trying to go like, oh, oh I want to, yeah. um, and no one ever listens to him. So he's probably got the high score for ellipses in this book. And yeah, if the stream's quiet, uh, yeah, you'll you'll have to just turn it up, I'm afraid. I'll I'll, I'll fiddle with I'll fiddle with Gain at some point. Um and then Jorah's like, Look, I am I am sworn to you, uh, I am loyal to you. And Danny says that, Oh, by the way, I'm not your princess anymore, I am your queen. Because she just realized that now that now that Viserys is dead, she's like officially the heir to the Targaryen dynasty now, right? Um, Danny is now inheriting the Targaryen legacy. So she says, that, I am Viserys's heir, the last blood of House Targaryen. Whatever was his is now mine. So one of the things that's happening in this chapter is that Danny is asserting herself and demanding her rights and demanding her power um, in a way that she never has before. And Jorah's like, look, uh, all right, great, okay, you're a queen, whatever, but, like, can we please, like, can we please, like, go now? Like, I don't really like the sort of feng shui in this place, right? I'm not really enjoying this dusty wasteland, the whole funeral pyre vibe. It's sort of getting me down, Jorah says, and so Jorah's like, look, let's just go east, Let's just go hang out out on the edges of the map where there's like cool shit and less wars, you know. Like let's let's go to Yee Let's go to the Jade Sea. Let's go to the Ashai. You know, like let's go explore some shit, yo. It's gonna be great. Um, and Danny's like, no, I'd rather go burn on this fire. And Jorah's like, I'd really prefer if you didn't if you didn't burn on that fire. But Danny's like, no, it'll be, it'll be great. I'm gonna improvise some magic. Danny says. Uh, and so Jorah's like, I don't want to watch you burn, man. I don't want to watch you burn. Uh, and, and Danny's like, don't worry, I won't burn. It's gonna be fine. Um, and she thinks about the seven kingdoms, which are by, by right, by right, the kingdoms are hers. So she's thinking about her political ambitions. And she also, uh, and she now in this chapter starts to form the sort of like political, um, she's starting to form the political symbolism that will be part of her bid for the throne in the future. So, like, she starts thinking about Aegon the Conqueror, Aegon Targaryen, and she wonders, like, how many men Aegon had, and she compares herself to Aegon and and, and her Kallassar. Um... And then she also thinks in terms of like the Dothraki culture, in terms of saying that like my people around me, these are my Khalasar, and she thinks about the Dothraki sort of political symbols. So we we begin to see in Danny's mind like the beginning of the formation of her like political strategy. She's combining the Targaryen stuff, like claiming uh claiming Ares's crown and all of that, using Aegon's legacy, but she's also using uh, the Dothraki power that she has as a, as a Khaleesi um, in order to further her claim. Uh, and she says, "Today, w- yesterday I was a child. Today I am a woman." So, th- so this this chapter's all about transformation and rebirth. Like, forget the dragons. It's about Danny changing from, like, a child and, and a pawn who's used for other people's purposes into someone who's asserting herself and her own right and her own political ambitions in a way that she hasn't before. What's that, what's that quote from Breaking Bad, where Walt's, like, chemistry is the study of, of growth and decay, than transformation? It's, like, the best quote in Breaking Bad, and that's basically what's happening here like Danny has gone through all these trials and all these all these you know re- regents and reactors and all these different chemicals poured onto a little petri dish and now Danny is growing and emerging into some kind of a new form some kind of a new powerful Targaryen Dothraki queen that's what's happening in this chapter and so she lays the groundwork before she jumps in the fire like any smart politician Danny doesn't just jump into the fire. Like, she may say that she's uh, an improviser, but she actually does a fair bit of political planning in this chapter. She says, before she jumps in the fire, I'm going to, like, establish who, who my generals. I'm going to establish the people who I can rely on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay the groundwork for my power. And the way she does that is that she uh, commandeers the loyalty of the blood riders, Ago, Rakoro, and Jogo. So she goes to each one of them, and she says, okay, you used to be, you used to be the blood rider to Drogo, now you're the blood rider to me. You are you are now under my command, and I want you to swear my loyalty. And of course, Jogo, Aggo, and Rakuro are like, we can't swear to you because you're a woman, uh, and that's not how this shit works, I'm afraid. Welcome to the Dothraki Patriarchy, mate. Uh as a woman, your job is to go to Vas to join uh the Crones. Um and um and so they're like, no, we're not going to do it. But Daenerys just pretends that they didn't say it. Danny just like acts as though they had pledged their loyalty, even though each one of them is like, uh, nope, I, 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 do not swear to you. Uh, but Danny's like, nah, totally, you do, you do, you're on my side now. Um, so she's engaging in a little bit of like theatre, or maybe wishful thinking. You'd think, yeah, like Oyster says, like she does talk like a crazy person in this scene, but she's, she's, she's doing it purposefully. I think I mean partly it's because she hasn't got a lot of choices, but the reason why she's doing this is because she she needs these people to be on her side, or at the very least she needs it to look like they're on her side, so like the audience that they have here, the Dothraki who are watching when they see Jogo Ago and Rakaro talking to Danny, for all they know, maybe they're declaring loyalty i don't know but but I think what's important is that Danny's purpose here is establishing the loyalty of the riders. she's laying the political groundwork for her. Future authority, uh, and so after talking to the blood riders, Danny goes to Jora, and she's like, uh, "Jora, my main man, first and greatest of my knights. Uh, I haven't got any prezzies for you, but I want to give you a Valyrian steel long claw, a, a Valyrian steel longsword." She promises Jora, um, and yeah, she's she is desperate, as Brandon Winslow says, and so she's sort of promise making these sort of empty promises or promises that seem empty now because she hasn't got shit right now. But she's hoping uh to assure the loyalty of these people one way or another, so she does it by promising weapons. But it's an interesting question, the Valerian steel sword for Jorah, because um it hasn't happened yet, has it? By book five, Danny still hasn't given uh Jorah his sword. So what's it gonna be? Like Longclaw could go back to Jorah, maybe, but that doesn't happen in the show. Um, and it's not clear how that would happen in the books. So is Jorah just going to end up with one of those like miscellaneous Valyrian steel swords that are floating around, like Lady Forlorn and Nightfall and Red Rain and whatever else? Um, it seems kind of a waste for Jorah to get just some random Valyrian steel sword. It would be nice for him to get something with like meaning to him personally, like Longclaw as the Mormont sword. But anyway, it'll be interesting to see like when and if that, that happens in the books, whether Jorah... We'll will we'll get the Valyrian sword that was promised, uh, and so Jorah's like, "Yep, I swear to you, I'm gonna be your man. I'm gonna follow you. I'll be loyal." And Danny's like, "No matter what happens, no matter what comes, no matter what I ask you to do, you'll be loyal." And Jorah's like, "Yeah, whatever comes." And I imagine that when he says that, he he didn't quite have in mind the uh the sewer creep into yunkai uh, or astapor or whatever it was and 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 yezan getting enslaved by a grossly obese slaver and having to fucking sponge bath the the piss reeking yezan and the uh and the and the performances with Tyrion on the pig as like a slave for the entertainment like i don't think those were the things that jorah was imagining when danny's like are you going to be loyal to me no matter what but he makes the oath and for what it's worth, Jorah does keep it, right? I mean, Jor- you, you can criticize Jorah for a lot of things, but when he makes this oath at this time, he's already stopped spying on Daenerys for Illyrio. Like, in the past, he did betray her by by reporting on her to to Varys and stuff. Um, but at least from this point on, he, I think he does keep his, his word to be loyal to Daenerys. Um uh, despite all of the crazy shit that they go through. And that's worth something. The same is true of the um the Blood Riders, Jogo, Aggo and Rakuro. Those guys are, are still with Daenerys in book five. Um and they also that's also pretty bloody impressive considering um everything they went through. But yeah, Chris Buckley makes a good point. Jorah never Jorah probably never imagined anything but Daenerys. Uh, his his crush uh, his intense, uh, age-inappropriate love for Daenerys uh, is, is, is probably what his loyalty is really all about. So you got to question just how pure that loyalty is, I suppose. Um, anyway, so... Danny assures the loyalty of the Blood Riders and Jorah, or at least she tries to, and then she says, Alright, Jorah, you are the first among my Queen's Guard. So she creates this term, Queen's Guard. Um, a reference to the Kingsguard of the Dargarian kings, uh, and so she's very consciously creating political sim- symbols of her new monarchy. Um, so she, so this is all very purposeful from Danny, um, and er, er, she feels everyone looking at her, and everyone's like, uh, and and she thinks that they all think she's crazy, and she's like, well, maybe I'm crazy. I'll find out soon enough. So yeah, she's. She, 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 this, she, she's a jazz musician right now. She's she's politically just sort of making it up as she goes along. She's improvising it, but she's hoping that it's going to turn out well. Uh, and she decides before all all the crazy stuff goes down, she does what everyone should do before a great conquest, before the foundation of a new empire. She takes a hot bath. Which is what everyone everyone does. Alexander the Great... Napoleon, all all the great conquerors, before they began their great deeds, they had a hot bath. And so that's what Danny does. We have a description of all the oils and the hair and the scrubbing and all the, the soreness leaving her. It mentions the soreness between her thighs because of course Danny just gave birth not not long ago, so she's still getting over that, and then they dab the oils all over her, and we get a, a slightly uncomfortable description of a dab of fragrant oil going on her sex, on the lips between her legs, and it sort of gets more specific than it probably needs to, because George Martin always does, uh, and then we have Carl Drogo's body being prepared with all the oils, and we have Danny going like, forgive me Forgive me, Drogo, son of my life. Forgive me that all that I have done. And so, like, presumably, like, the main reason why Danny is apologizing to Drogo here is for, like, bringing Miriam Azder into his life. Um, under the assumption that Miriam Azdur was, like, responsible for Drogo's death. But, of course, that's not really necessarily true. So, I, I don't know if it's even clear why and what for um, Danny is apologizing to Drogo for um and 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 there's definitely like a stockholmy sort of a vibe going on here right like um like drogo is a rapist uh, or a, at least was like Dro- like danny was sold to drogo as like a political marriage he didn't exactly treat her terribly well early on and yet after all that shit like it's danny apologizing to him which seems a bit wacky right um i think there's a lot to be said about i mean now's not really the time or the place but like there's a lot to be said about danny and drogo's relationship and the fact that she's apologizing here is um interesting but um but certainly this is mourning the relationship that they did have later on they did have this loving relationship um and so that's what danny's mourning here at the end over drogo's body and so they dress him up with all of his bells and all of his stuff. Um, and and Danny Danny considers that he's being buried with his hair uncut. His hair has never been cut. Um, <laughs> we've opened the can of worms in the chat over Drogo. But Drogo was never defeated in combat, and so his hair is long. And so Danny reflects that it's pretty impressive um, for someone to never... Be defeated from life until death, from sunrise until sunset. And so we have that final moment with Drogo. And then they start setting up the fire, they start pouring some oil over the shit, and then Danny's like, bring me my eggs. Um, and and Jorah's like, whoa, 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 you don't want to put the dragon eggs on the pyre, mate, because those eggs are incredibly valuable. We could like sell them when we go run away together to, to the east, We can sell them in a shy and we can use that money to live wealthy for the rest of our days. Like, don't put these incredibly valuable eggs um, onto the pyre. These are like some day one bitcoins, man. This is like gold ingots, you know? This is blood diamonds. This is some unobtainium. Like, these eggs are super valuable, so don't give them away. Um, Thanks for the donation, Lucas. Um, And so Danny's like, well, look, I could sell them, but these eggs were not given to me to sell. And that's an interesting statement. Like, yeah, maybe maybe Danny just wants to make an omelette, Project 7, he suggests. Um, but Danny's like, these eggs were not given to me to sell. Which is an interesting question. Like, that implies, like, purpose on the part of the person who gave her the eggs. And the person who gave her the eggs is Illyrio. So, like, is Danny implying that Illyrio had some, like, purpose, um, some, like, purpose for... Illyrio had some like purpose for giving Danny the eggs? Because at the time it just seems like a, a meaningless gift just to ingratiate Danny and the Targaryens to Illyrio. Um, but I mean, why would that means you can't sell them, you know? Um it's it's almost as though we're sort of almost breaking the fourth wall here. When Danny says, Oh, they were not given to me to sell. Well, the reason why George Martin gave Danny the eggs is not to sell, it's to hatch them. Um Maybe that's not breaking the fourth wall. It could just be an appeal to sort of like destiny or whatever. Danny knows that she's destined to hatch the eggs. Um, But, anyways, it's an interesting sentence there that you can read in a bunch of different ways. Uh, But then they place the eggs on the pyre with Drogo. And I think the placement of the eggs is actually quite symbolic. So the black dragon egg, which contains Drogon, is placed beside Drogo's heart which is appropriate, because that's closest to Drogo himself, and it represents the strong heart and the vitality of both Drogo and Drogon. And then the green egg, which contains Rhaegar, is placed beside Drogo's head. And so I think Rhaegar... He was a very intelligent person. He was a very bookish person. He was very introverted and trapped inside his own stuff, all his obsessions with like prophecy and stuff, Rhaegar was. And so I think it's appropriate that Rhaegar's egg is placed beside Drogo's head, the head representing Rhaegar's nature. Because then, of course, the cream and gold egg, which contains Viserion, uh, is placed between Drogo's legs. Uh, And the reason for that, of course, is that Viserys, the namesake of Viserion, uh, is a dick. Um, So there's some symbolism for you. (coughs) And then Mirimazora is like, look, this this isn't going to work. Like I told you, like if you're trying to do magic, like fine, but like it's not going to work because you're not smart. You haven't got the words. You haven't got the magic spells. Um, this ain't, this ain't going to work out for you. And then Danny's like, look, you might call me crazy, but I think crazy is, is right next to wisdom, man. And Mary Asdera is like, what, what does that even, what what do you even talk? And Danny's like, you could say, I'm so crazy that, that I'm smart. You could say. And Miriam Asdera's like, no, I don't think that's how it works at all. And then Danny's like, ha ha, crazy as a fox. Um, and then, and then Mary's like, what, what the fuck? And then they put Miriam on the pyre. Because <coughs> Danny's like, alright, the lesson you taught me, Miriam is that only death can pay for life. Um, I don't want your screams, I want your death. Because I'm trying to summon some magic, so Miriam is going to be one of the deaths that I chuck on this pyre to make stuff happen. Uh, and then Miriam Azder goes, shit, I was the architect of my own downfall. I shouldn't have, I really shouldn't have taught Danny that. Uh, or maybe she could have gotten away with it. Um so Miriam has deplayed herself and um and we have a, oh we have a description of like how the Dothraki funeral customs work. Uh so like the purpose of like slaying the horse with the horse lord is so that the horse lord has a horse to ride in the night lands in the in the in Hades. Um you can keep your possessions when you take your place among the stars. The Dothraki believe that when you die, when a great Dothraki dies, they go up into the sky and they burn as a new star. Um as bright as they burned in life, um, which is nice. And then Danny looks up among the stars, and she sees that there is a a comet burning red, the bleeding star of prophecy, connected to Azor Ahai, the prince that was promised. This symbol, this portent, that so many different people in at the beginning of the next book interpret in so many different ways, it emerges for the first time now. This red comet in the sky, and Danny looks and that looks at that, and does what. Every other character does in this series and goes, ah, that symbol means exactly what I feel like I want it to mean right now. And so Danny goes like, all right, I'm going to do some magic. And so she puts the fire, she lights the fire on the pyre with Miriam on it, with Drogo's body on it, with the dragon eggs on it. Uh, and the fire begins. And Miriam Asdur starts to sing in a shrill, ululating voice, and it becomes a scream, a wail full of agony as the fire gets burnier and hotter. It's like some Trogdorian conflagration. Um, And then Danny's like... For a moment, she's like, oh, I need to go beg for forgiveness with Drogo again, but whatever. She's mostly just standing and watching the fire as it grows. And we've got this like cosmic power and the Dothraki are watching and Miriam is screaming and the heat is beating at the air with great red wings, which is evoking a dragon. And as the fire rises and the Dothraki stand back against the crazy fire, Danny stands her ground because she's the blood of the dragon and the fire is in her. And she could feel... The truth of it. She knew long ago that there's some kind of destiny, some kind of meaning to this fire. Um, and, you know, she was accused of being a child, but, you know, now she's grown and she's learned. Uh, and she approaches and she gets closer to the fire and she's sweaty. Sweat is running down her thighs. Her Her palms are sweaty. Knees weak. Arms are heavy. <laughs> there's, there's fire on a painted vest already. Khaleesi spaghetti. She's nervous, but on the surface... You know, you know how it goes. Um, And so there's this giant fire and there's like a horse in the fire and there's fish and foxes and monsters. So Danny is just like tripping major Targaryen balls right now. She's like seeing like visions in the fire. She's feeling all like mystical, and she's feeling like, whoa, you know, this is the this is it. This is the moment. Everything's coming together. All of these deaths have been added to the fire, and she's feeling like something big is about to happen. The flame is everywhere. The, it's a snaking whip. It's a bloody blood, and there's a crack, like a big. Big, big thunderous sound—the sound of shattering stone as bits of the pyre, the bits of the pyre collapse and the wood shifts—and and a chunk of curved rock, gold with white. So a piece of the dragon eggs. The eggs are already beginning to to hatch, as she steps in towards the fire, and she hears only death can pay for life. And there's another crack like thunder, and Daenerys says, "The fire is mine." I am Daenerys Stormborn, daughter of dragons, bride of dragons, mother of dragons, don't you see? So there's this huge, this huge, powerful, dramatic declaration of who she is as a Targaryen and Dothraki, and there's this last thunderous crack as loud as the breaking of the world. And then uh, we fade out into the next scene, which is harder to achieve in the book, isn't it? Like, you might have, like, maybe and ellipses or, like, some asterisks or, like, whatever. The time passes. It's like that SpongeBob thing that everyone always uses. Oh, You know, like a crack like thunder, Neymar. Like, a fire, a, a big bonfire, like, cracks in the wood. And especially if you've got lots of stuff stacked on, uh, I think it makes sense that a fire can make a, lu- a loud noise. But, I mean, the point is, is, like, the drama here, obviously. But anyway, so we have, like, this five minutes later, bikini b- bottom in, like, the goofy font, um and so we have the SpongeBob 5 minutes later and then we wake up and it's like the morning and the, sh- and the and the TV show did this really well i think the TV show did a great job with this they cut the bath out of the TV show but all the important stuff they kept and so Danny emerges um yeah no it's not it's not literally thunder guys it's metaphorical thunder the, the, the noise that the fire made anyway and so she emerges from the ash Right, she emerges from the ash in the same way that she's like emerging from this wasteland as a more powerful figure. She's she's rising from this ash, and she stands, and the embers fall away, and she's naked, but her and and her hair is burned away. Um, But she is unhurt. She is unburned, and there are dragons on her. There's a dragon at her breast and on her shoulders, and draped around her. She's got the three dragons, and everyone's like, "All right, shit's legit." Everyone kneels. Um, the knight Jorah falls to his knees. All of the Dothraki fall to their knees, and Danny knows that they are hers today and tomorrow and forever, loyal, more loyal to her than they ever were to Drogo. And Daenerys Targaryen rises to her feet. Her dragons hiss and they sing and they scream, and the night comes alive with the music of dragons. So that was the final chapter of A Game of Thrones. Um, And it's a pretty strong ending, I would say. Um, It's about Daenerys becoming what she was always meant to be in her mind. All of the elements of her past come together to, to, to form the foundation for this great new future. All of the Targaryen stuff, all of the Dothraki stuff all of the lessons that she's learned with, like, magic and Miriam as the abuse that she suffered at the hands of her brother, her lifetime of uncertainty, all of these elements all come together, twist together in this braid to form this new, stronger identity for Daenerys Targaryen and this determination to claim the Seven Kingdoms, which she believes is her right. I think it's a great way to set up Daenerys Targaryen as a character and as a force, and I think... It's a really great arc. I think I think th- I think Daenerys's chapters in this book of Game of Thrones were originally published separately as like a novella called "Blood of the Dragon" or something. Um, and I think it works because Danny's storyline works really well as like a standalone arc, uh, which later, much later, joins the rest of the series, which finally in Game of Thrones season seven becomes like this whole combined thing, which is pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, that was that was Game of Thrones: A Bridge. That was the first book. I I never quite thought we would get <laughs> all the way <laughs> through the book. How many hours? That was a lot of. That was seventy three episodes. Jesus. Um. Oh, thank you for watching, everyone. Thank you for being a part of this ridiculous <laughs> series. Uh, it's it's so great to see that people. Have gotten into this and formed little communities and even like made stuff. I love the stuff that you guys make—the videos and the parodies and 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 the picture books and the, all of that stuff is cool. Uh, so go check out all of those Reddit's and Facebooks and things um, if you're interested. And yeah, I was gonna stop at episode three. I was gonna stop. I was gonna. I was gonna stop at episode one. Uh, but you guys enjoyed it, and so I kept on doing it. Um and so everyone's asking like oh will we do book 2 um uh yeah i think so but not now we're not going to immediately launch into the second book uh i think <laughs> i think we all need some t- uh, some time to take a breather i'm just very aware of how much of like a um yeah, investment starting a second book is cuz they they each get longer you know um but Altrift X is like this wonderful thing that i want to continue playing around with Uh, So there will be more on this channel, Uh, there'll probably be some like anamorphs or something silly, there'll probably also be some other less silly, or maybe more silly books, other bits and pieces, so uh, there will be more on this channel, Um, and maybe at some point we'll do book two, we'll see how it goes, but thank you for all for getting together, yeah, congratulations to Ernest, Uh, congratulations to everyone who got something out of this series. Um, and thank you all for making it possible. Yay! All right. Um, so there's going to be, oh, if you're uh, you're interested in Stranger Things, um, you might like to, you might like to tune into a stream we're doing, like, probably in about 24 hours. Just as an experiment, we're going to do it on Twitch, um, just to try something a little bit different. So if you're into Stranger Things, uh keep an eye out uh, I, I think I'll tweet I'll, I'll tweet on the Alt Shift X Twitter um, about a stream we're gonna do on Twitch in 24 hours so if you're interested in talking about the new season uh, go make sure you're caught up on the season so I don't have to spoil you um, and then you can go have a look at um, you can go have a look at that stream uh, but yeah thank you hairless oyster Stephanie Morris smashed avo share a sea star. Um, all you guys in the chat, all you guys part of the community, Kata, I remember Kata and her baking descriptions were, uh, I think really the genesis of the Swifty Squad community early on. Um, so shout outs to everyone. You guys know who you are, who's been a part of all this stuff. Uh, and thank you all for enjoying this. Uh, and before we ramble on forever, yeah, you can go to the discord if you want to keep chatting, uh, but have a good one. Eat your greens. Do all of the good advice that Hairless Oyster would would give you. Um, Yeah, go binge Stranger Things so that we can talk about it tomorrow. And we'll have some more videos and streams and stuff on this channel sometime soon. So have a good one. So long. Farewell. uh, And good night. Cheers.